I'm going to take y'all back about three decades. My mama is here tonight. She told me she was coming. I called her and told her uh, about you inviting me in. She said, you know what? I'm going to be there. So, Mama, as you came in, I'm going to tell them what I told you. I'm going to go ahead and apologize for using my family tonight. It's all good about you. Okay. (laughs) But I'm going to go about three decades back. So, if you would, follow me three decades. It's the beginning of a new church called Powdersville First Baptist Church. And in that beginning, it was just three families that met together in the Johnson garage. And through that, we escalated in a meeting somewhere else. And then we got together at Carolina High School. And lo and behold, we built a little white church. It wasn't much to look at worldly-wise. But the people that were there, the ones that were coming, wow, we were excited. I was a young man. I was 11 years old at the time. And I was excited. Two years later, we moved out of that building. We built on to it, much like what y'all did here. And we added a new sanctuary. It was beautiful. Seated a lot of people. I mean, it probably wasn't as nice as this, but it was, it was, it was nice, Kenny, I'm telling you. We could pull all the chairs back, and being a young man, we could play basketball. I mean, it was some good stuff. But that meant we had an old, sanctuary. Now, being good Baptists, you don't just take something and not use it. So we turned it into the fellowship hall. We put a lot of chairs and tables in there, and that's where we would eat. So three years later, we decided to have our first homecoming. Now, the church was only five years old, but we're going to have a homecoming. I don't know if anyone had left at the time, but apparently, Pastor John Revis said, we're going to have a homecoming. And when the pastor said, let's have a homecoming, the church followed. Amen? So we have a homecoming, and, and, and lo and behold, I'm a young man, and you know, I just don't pay that well attention. And my mama, God bless her soul, she got us all cleaned up. She made sure our jeans were clean. She wanted us to look good because we're the twins. Now, there's six of us in the family. But it just so happens, the blue jeans I was wearing, I had been wearing on Friday down at the creek. And I like to go men hunt. So I had mealworms in my pocket, okay? Somehow the mealworms had made it through the washing machine, through the dryer, and they were still in my pocket, all nice and hard and crispy and dried out. They were easy, easy picking, or in this case, easy flipping. I pulled out the mealworms out of my pocket, my twin brother Brad sitting there saying, now, I want you to understand, we had a youth section. Now, we weren't allowed to sit in this youth section after this day for a long, long time. But at the time, we were sitting in the youth section, second row back from the front. My mom and dad were sitting way over here. They could still see us. So I pull out. I didn't want my mom and dad to see us. Hey, I got worms. What are we going to do with that? You know who's sitting in front of us? Oh, man, one of the sweetest women in the world. Pastor's wife, Nancy Revis. We loved her, and I promise you, when you hear what we did, we did love her. Okay? But she had a late 70s, 1980s, $50 hair day. I mean, it was just, I mean, it was perfectly round. It was, it took $100 of Aquanet to do the $50 haircut. I mean, it was perfect. And I looked at my brother Brad, and I said, eh, eh, eh. 
boy, watch this. So I put the mealworms in this one because I'm right-handed, and I put one right here. Missed. Hit the back of the pew. I said, okay. My projector was a little off, so I angled up and pow, right in the back of the head. She didn't feel it because it's, it's like a big, it's like a force field. You ain't going to feel it unless it hits the scalp. There's a mealworm in her hair. My brother Brad looks at me, and he says, I can do that. Give me one. Right. He goes, hoop shot. I know people can see us because it goes and lands right at the top. I looked at him and I was like, boy, we were high-fiving as much as you can in a church pew. Homecoming's going on. Jerry King's just sinking. The anchormen are there. I don't know if y'all know who that is, but they were there that day. About the time we got to the fourth one, my mama decided to look over at her precious boys. Right when I went like that, and she saw it hit her hair. Now, like I said, they didn't always go in. This one bounced out. I was going to be able to reuse this one. But she saw it. And if you've ever seen cartoons, Looney Tunes, I grew up on the Looney Tunes. Her eyes, as much as you can in church, bulged out and were bloodshot all at the same time. I looked over, and I saw her, and I instantly didn't like nothing. Now, I could see my mama. She had her hand underneath this. She was doing the wife to the husband thing, pinching him on the arm. Okay? I looked over, and I saw my mama giving us up to our father. My daddy looked over, and daddy went like that. I took to Brad, and looked at him and Brad said I think he wants you to go I said no I think he wants you to go and then dad went it's like he could read our lips two of you go we've seen this before we know my dad's hand signals trust me I know you know your mom and dad's hand signals okay we knew what it meant go to the old sanctuary now this is a fellowship hall but my daddy called it the old sanctuary we got up. All the youth, they knew we had been caught because they had been watching us. The head of shame. Daddy's not moving yet. We knew he was coming. He's wanting us to think about it. We get to the old sanctuary. Now, I want you to understand, I can't blame it because we were young, because we were old enough to know better. And we knew what it meant to have the Holy Spirit in us. And we knew what it meant for Christ not to just be in the church, but to be in us. What I'm trying to tell you is we knew better. Tonight's main scripture, if you would, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. If you would, please stand as we read God's Word. God's Word states in verse 16, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroy God's temple, God will destroy them. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let's pray. God, I just pray that as we take these next few moments, the hearts, minds, and lives will be changed. God, I pray that you're already working in each and every person in this room. Lord, no matter what they brought in the doors, they're willing to lay the worldly stuff down 
and pick up the holy stuff that you have for them. God, you tell us in your word that I have a life and a life more abundantly. Lord, I pray tonight that we leave understanding that the abundant life you give far exceeds anything this world could ever throw at us. Lord, let us seek you in all that we do. Let us have a better understanding. And Lord, let us be faithful in our walk to be the example we've been called so we can change lives in our community, Lord, in this nation, and Lord, that we would transfigure this world into something that Satan just can't stand to be a part. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. All God's people said, amen. Amen. If we take a look at this and we understand God's word in 1 Corinthians, here it says, do you not know? Now, he's not just talking to the world. He's talking to us. God is saying, do you not know? He was saying, Brand Bart Kelly, do you not know? Now, we weren't the greatest theologians back then. I would love to blame it on our age. But yet, we grew up in a house where my mama read scripture all the time. My daddy didn't, but my mama did. My mama was really, really good at letting us know what scripture said, too. Thank God for godly mamas. Goodness gracious. If we keep going, it says, you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you. See, we understood that God dwelled within us, but we weren't really allowing the Holy Spirit to dwell in us at that time. The Bible says that the devil's gonna work his way. Now, I'm not saying that the devil was inside of me and Brad, but we certainly were acting like God's temple flicking mealworms into the pastor wife's hair. That's the reason we got called into the old sanctuary. And I want to promise you that when we got in that old sanctuary, my daddy wasn't there yet. Me and Brad were forming our story. We understood that we were going to have to come up with something good. See, the new sanctuary was new. The old sanctuary was old. And we knew that daddy wouldn't want to do anything to hurt us in either one of them, especially when there were so many witnesses around. See, it was a block building. Anything you did was going to echo. So if he gave us a whooping and he hit me once, you were going to hear one, but you were going to hear the echo, one, two, three. So if we walked out of there with three licks apiece, which would have been nine, it would have been almost 30 licks that everybody else would have heard, and that wouldn't have been good for daddy. So we were hoping that our daddy would take this in to account. So what did we do? We wanted to make sure that when daddy got in there, we let him know this. But see, my daddy had a different understanding. See, my daddy came from the old sanctuary, but he understood that when we went into the new sanctuary, that old sanctuary was still a temple of God. And no matter where we went, if we were in that holy sanctuary, the new one or the old one, it was always going to be the temple of God. Now, we as Christians have a problem sometimes with that. We'll look at this and say, oh, my goodness, we're in church. Let's put it where God would want us to have. We'll come in here. We'll sing songs. We'll shake hands. We'll use the Christianese. We'll do everything that God's called us to do. But when it comes to leaving the church, a lot of people go back to their old life 
to the sanctuary they knew before and they live like hell from Monday to Saturday and then they try to go into the new sanctuary on Sunday and try to look like something they're not. Because the sanctuary is not the building. The sanctuary dwells with inside of us. We're the sanctuary. And it doesn't matter how old we are, whether it's the old one or the new one, it's still God's temple. It never becomes obsolete. The first point I want to share with you tonight, just because it's old doesn't mean it's obsolete. Just because it's old does not mean that it's obsolete. In Jeremiah 6, 16, it states, Thus saith the Lord, Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. God is coming here and he's telling them in the book of Jeremiah, Remember the old ways. Remember my way. Remember who I am. And if you walk in me, and you talk in me, and you allow me to be a part of your life, I will give you rest. Church, I want to ask you, how many of you need some rest right now? Good gracious. Look at the world we live in. Not only do we need rest personally, our nation needs a rest. Everybody's looking to the United States to do something, and yet not hardly any of us in America are looking to God to do a great thing. We're thinking we can do anything else in the world and we as Christians above all need to remember that if we're going to see something great work in the world, something phenomenal work in this nation, we have first got to experience the miracle of salvation working in us. It's not an obsolete thing. Christianity is not obsolete. God's house is not obsolete. God's saving mercy is not obsolete. But what does it say at the end of that verse? It says, we will not walk in it. God said, if you'll do this and you'll obey this, I'll give you peace. I'll give you rest. I'll give you joy. Not happiness. Happiness only lasts for a minute. But joy sustains for an eternity. I'm going to give you all this. But what do they look? You know what? We think we know better. We're just not going to walk in your ways. How did that turn out for them? They got oppressed. They got put into slavery. Man, it was a hard road to hoe for them. But God's word is never obsolete when you allow it to work in the lives of others. Here's the thing after reading this scripture. If we're to understand that we want to find rest in our lives. We are then to walk in the paths that the Creator made for us because only He knows where those rest spots are. See, He understood that when He needed us in the room, when He put us together, He said, you know what? Oh, such and such here is going to need rest here in about five minutes. He's been walking in my ways. In five minutes, He doesn't know, but a millions of years ago, before time ever created, I knew that He was going to be here, so I'm going to put this rest spot for Him. And since He's walking in my will and He's obeying my word, I've got this all set up for Him. No, John over here, you know what? I've got this rest spot. If, if he'll just come along, the spot's right here. John's right here. John says, you know what, God, I'm going to try this on my own. But you understand, if you'll walk where I want you to walk and you come where I want you to come, I've got your rest right here. Yeah. 
That's not the kind of rest I'm looking for. I'd rather find it in a bottle. I'd rather find it looking at things on my phone. Maybe finding it in a needle or the comfort of some pills. See, that's temporary rest. God's saying that I'll give you rest. You know, it was a long time until I understood what rest was. And then all of a sudden one day, I was introduced to a CPAP. Whew. <laughs> one thing, I quit snoring. Thank you, baby. And two, I started resting. I forgot what it was like to have sleep and rest and wake up the next morning and go, oh, this old boy feels good. I don't want to stretch too far and flex out my jacket here. But I understood what rest was. And I yearned for that rest. And all through my life, when the world says, this isn't going to work, this isn't how it's done, this isn't the path you need to take, God keeps saying, but I'll give you rest, my child. He said, I'm going to love you. There's rest to be given, and I'm the one that's going to give it. Folks, if we're not getting rest from the Lord, then I promise you, you're not truly getting any rest. Amen? If we understand this, then we go to the next thing. Just because it's old doesn't mean it's useless. Just because it's old doesn't mean it's useless. Isaiah 43, 1 says, But now this is what the Lord says, The one who created you, Jacob, the one who formed you, Israel, do not be afraid, because I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. If you're sitting in this room today, let me tell you something that sometimes we forget. We belong to Christ, and Christ is jealous over us. He is so jealous. You're mine. Oh, my goodness. You're mine. I want you under my fold. I want you part of my family. I'm going to bring you in. I sent my son for you. He's bringing you home. You're mine. And no one is going to pull you from me. No one. I wish I would have known scripture a lot better before I went in that old sanctuary with my daddy. Now before I can go to the next part, I need to enlighten you about another story with my daddy. Me and my brother Brad, sorry mama, were bad about playing tricks on one another. They, we never hurt each other bad. But they were tricks nonetheless. And one time, Brad got me good, so I decided to get my brother back. The iron was set up in my room. So I got, how many of y'all remember the 7-Eleven big gulps? The big gulps. Well, I put a nice cup of ice water on the top of that door just where when you opened it, it would fall on top of you. And I went downstairs and I said, hey, brother, you need to go out to my room. I'll get it later. Hey, brother, you need to go out to my room and get this. I'll get it later. Hey, brother, you, do you remember when you asked to borrow this? This up in my room. Go ahead and go get it. Well, we were sitting there watching chips. For the younger ones, that's a police shot. And I forgot about that water. And my mom and dad were supposed to go somewhere really special that night. And my mama had just come back getting her $50 due done. And my mama had to iron my daddy's shirt. 
me and Brad are down there just acting like nothing's going on. And my mama, she didn't say hello because we knew she was there, but she was in a hurry. But this is what I heard from my mom. Instantly I knew. Instantly I knew. My mama had walked into what was supposed to be my brother's trap. It did not go as planned. My mama came marching, and we were on the bottom floor. My mom was on the top floor, and you could hear my mama, little bitty woman, looks just like Dolly Parton, but she had a heavy foot that day. She comes down there, who, what, when your daddy gets home, you stay in this room. Okay. We weren't going to say nothing. We're not stupid. She walks back up. She slams that door. Mm. My daddy's not going to be home for another 30 minutes. We're trying to get our story together. My daddy comes home and, honey, you come in the kitchen. Daddy knows that voice. We got the door cracked because we're eavesdropping. Stanley Kelly, not Stan, not honey, not ba- Stanley Kelly, your boys. We're no longer my mama's boys. <laughs> your boys did this. Now, it's still funny. Half her hair was flat. <laughs> The other half was high, and there wasn't enough Aquanet to get the other life resuscitation back up. It was hilarious. It's funny now. It wasn't then, but it's funny now. And my daddy looked at us and said, well, honey, what happened? Is that, is that what you're doing now? She said, your boys, and I don't know which one because I couldn't talk to them. You go down there, and you whoop them. Now, it wasn't whoop them. It was a demonic type. And me and Brad looked at each other. We closed the door and I said, okay. I said, where's the padding? We're looking for magazines. You know, we're looking for anything. And I finally said, Brad, this isn't going to be good for us. Now, I want you to follow me on this. My daddy comes down the steps. He opens the door. He says, boys. And he slams the door shut. And he said, I love you. I said, what? I said, I didn't want to go to this thing tonight. <laughs> and that is the funniest thing that I've seen in a long time. Now, listen, this is what we're going to do. He rips his belt off, and I'm thinking, now, wait a minute. <laughs> and he says, I'm going to take this belt, and we've got a useless couch there. You can't sit on it and be comfortable. You can't lay on it and be comfortable. Mama, that couch was ugly. Okay. <laughs> Goodwill wouldn't take that couch, but we had it. And he said, I'm going to get this belt, and I'm going to slap it across this, and I want you boys to start howling. I mean, just screaming. If y'all will do that and then stay down here, we're good. (laughs) Dad, all you want us to do is yell? That's all I want you to do. Okay, Daddy. My brother, which I did not know he had the vocals for this, he could howl. <laughs> howl. You ever heard them howling monkeys in Africa you see on Channel 29 when they're over? Howl, whoa, 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 whoa. He did it perfectly. 
And the more we did it, that sweat is just dripping from my daddy's nose. He's beating a couch out of that ugly, useless, good-for-nothing couch. And we're just screaming. Daddy finally loses his breath. And I'm going to go back upstairs. He opens the door and slams the door. Now you think about what you did. Mama's at the top of the steps. Grind. Stanley, I didn't didn't kill him. I didn't tell you to kill him. She starts coming down. Don't you come down here, woman. You let them boys think about what they did. You get up there in that room. Mama goes up, me and Brad. She probably thought we were crying, but we were laughing. We turned around and I looked, and you know what? That ugly, useless couch took a beating. I mean, took a whooping for something that we deserved. We deserved it. That couch never did anything wrong. It might have been ugly, it might have been useless. Goodwill wouldn't take it. But it didn't deserve the whooping that it got that night. We did. But it stood in our place. It became a whooping post for my sins. Folks, Jesus Christ became a whooping post for our sins. If we take a look at God's word, We understand that when it says that Pilate sent him, it says, therefore, in John 19.1, it says, then Pilate had Jesus taken away and he was whipped. It was in that moment that I realized as a young man what it meant to have something take its place for something I deserved. Sadly, we kept the couch for years. Hated that couch. But I loved Jesus. And Jesus first loved me. That useless couch ended up becoming a saving grace. There was a point in my life where I didn't think that God's worth, word was anything worth for me. It, 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 was, it was just a bunch of words. It was a useless book. But then I realized that when I took it and it revealed itself to me, that my heart revealed itself to it. And something that the said was obsolete, that was useless, now became my saving grace. Now that is an amazing thing that we can take home in our lives. Where's your worth found? I wonder how many people in this room tonight are feeling beat up, feeling useless. Uh, my husband don't appreciate me. My wife don't appreciate me. My children don't appreciate me. My job doesn't appreciate me. Nothing's going right. It, it's just not worth it. Nothing's good enough. I can't never get enough to get ahead. 
Lord knows Social Security ain't going to do it. My retirement, it ran out a long time ago. I'm just not going to make it. But then Jesus Christ lets us know. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Don't let this world beat you down. I remember when my daddy got saved. There was a time my daddy would have come down there and he wouldn't have hit the couch. He would have hit us. And it wasn't that long earlier than when that episode happened that my daddy found Christ. And that's when me and my brother realized for the first time, my daddy is a changed man. Something happened in here because daddy showing grace to anybody in this world was kind of like Bigfoot the Yeti or Loch Ness Monster, it's been heard about, but it's never been seen. We know he's capable of it, but he just doesn't show it. This obsolete, what the world would call useless man from Walhalla, South Carolina, God transformed into something new in his heart and now was showing grace to his son. Folks, I'm here to tell you that God's grace shows to his sons and daughters. Finally, just because it's old doesn't mean it's dead. Just because it's old doesn't mean it's dead. I want to take you back to the old sanctuary. The sacrifices that my daddy was about to commit in the old sanctuary to God in heaven. We knew we were dead. We knew that we were going to be disciplined in such a way that we were going to remember this one. Daddy walks in. He closes the door. We're waiting for him to say, okay, boys, I'm going to have to whoop you. And we knew this wasn't going to be a couch time. There was no couch in the old sanctuary. There was nothing for my daddy to whoop except us. But my daddy did something completely different. He said, boys, he said, do you know where you're at? We're in church. Are you ready to get what's coming to you now? Think about that question when you ask someone whether they know they're getting ready to get a whooping. Are you ready to get a whooping? Do you even answer that? Well, sure, Daddy, I've been waiting for this all week. You know, there's two or three things I've been needing a whooping for. I've been needing to send you a note and put it on the refrigerator. We need to get together Saturday night because of the things you... I need this whooping, Daddy. I need it back. Please, Daddy, give me a whooping. You don't answer that. You just stand there like any kid. You just don't say a word. Boys, I want to talk to you. Do you know where you're at? My daddy wasn't a great reader, but he could read. My daddy was not a great theologian, but he knew the Bible. Mostly because my mama shared it with him. See, my mama 
asked and prayed and begged God for a godly man. And he might not have been saved when they got married, but God answers prayers, does he not, Mama? And Daddy might not have started off a righteous man, but he walks in heaven a righteous man right now because the righteous Savior came and saved his life here on earth because God answers prayers. Folks, my daddy began the best he could to quote scripture the best he could, to love on his kids the best he could, to be an example to his sons. Boys, do you realize you in God's house? Yes, sir, daddy. We, we shouldn't have done that in the sanctuary. Sons, it's not about being in there in the sanctuary. It's not about being in here and it being a sanctuary. Sons, do you realize this is my daddy? Walhalla, South Carolina. Some would call a redneck. And he looks at us and he says, what if there was some other youth in there that needed to know Christ today? And because of your actions, making them laugh, making them giggle, this was the only opportunity they would ever have to accept Christ. And you decided to throw worms in the pastor's wife's hair. There was no chuckling going on. Daddy, we're sorry. We're we're sorry. Do you realize today all the people that have been coming to this church that have left or not coming for homecoming, do you realize they were all watching you? They all saw it, Daddy? Don't worry about the ones sitting in the church that saw it. What about Jesus and Christ? What about Jesus Christ sitting in heaven? He saw it. Boys, you're not going to get a whoop. We're like, yeah, until you get home. (laughs) And he kept good to his word. The couch had nothing to worry about on that one. But my daddy gave the best sermon in his life to only two people that could hear it. And because of that, and many other examples of my mom and dad and other people in our life, God called two young twins into the ministry to preach his word. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. My daddy had a new heart. My daddy had feelings now, something that we weren't used to. He was no longer the harsh man. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. In Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of, but the word of our God endures forever. Folks, The world may say it's obsolete. The world may say it's useless. But I'm here to tell you that the Bible's not dead. Jesus Christ is still in heaven. He still reigns 
in heaven above. And because of what he has done, he has changed the lives of not only our family, but every family that's in this room. You are not here by accident. You're not here because you said, hey, I'm just going to drive to the big town of Westminster. And I'm going to see what's happening in this huge town of Westminster, South Carolina. God called you here whether you think it was a mistake or whether you just thought you were just coming. God called you here tonight. And I don't know what the purpose is to change your heart, but I do know that God will take something that's obsolete God will take something that others say is useless. God will take something that others say is dead and he will renew it. He will transform it. He will redeem it. He will forgive it. He'll give it a name and he'll send you out there to say, look, I'm brand new in the Holy Spirit that dwells within my heart. Do you have that assurance tonight? Now, it's a Sunday night. I'm not going to assume that everyone in here say, but it's a Sunday night. But I'm also not going to assume that there's someone in here who might not need prayer. Someone in here who may just want to have someone hug them and say, it's going to be okay. Jesus Christ loves you. I don't know where God's going to lead you tonight, but I do know this. God will lead you if you allow him to lead you. No matter your age, because there's no expiration date on being a Christian. No matter your abilities, because God can use all. And no matter what your mindset is, when you think, I just can't do it anymore, I'm just dead to the world, God says, I'll take it, I'll use it, and I'll transform it. Let me ask you this question, I close with this. The world may say we're obsolete, useless, and dead, but God tells us we're renewed daily, we're redeemed, and we're forgiving. And amen were everlasting. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord dwells within us. So tonight I'm going to ask Pastor Kenny to come forward. And I don't know how y'all do closings here, but I'm going to tell you how we do it at Bethel. We give people a, t- uh, people a chance to just come and pray at an altar. We give people a chance to come and Speak to the pastor. We give people a chance to find Jesus. So tonight, if you're willing and you're able and God has called you, the altar will be open. So if you would, please stand. We're going to play some beautiful music. The most beautiful thing that could happen tonight is if you allow God to work in your life. Brother Kenny? You heard the word.